Hey everyone, welcome to Digital Worship. I'm Pastor John Carolis here at Shepherd. It's a joy to be with you as we continue through this series, When Shadows Fall, Careful Steps with Jesus Toward the Cross. We find ourselves in this season of Lent, which is really a time of reflection as we consider the, the significance of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we take some time intentionally as a community of Christians across the world to, to remember that this is the central, central, central teaching of our faith. God certainly has all kinds of blessings that are ours because of this work of Jesus on the cross. Things like peace in the midst of turbulent times. Things like uh, hope, despite the hopelessness that we find in the world around us. He works healing in our relationships. He brings joy in the midst of pain. But all of those other gifts are secondary to this one singular fact. You and I are reconciled, reconnected to the God who made us because he sent his perfect son into the world to pay the price for our imperfection. Today we're going to hear a story, though, about how Jesus resets the relationship between us and God. And he does that in a very tangible, in a very um, physical way when he visits the temple in Jerusalem prior to the Passover. He's with his disciples. He, he goes into the temple courtyard and he causes quite a stir. And yet in that teaching, in that part of the Bible, um, it's the second chapter of the Gospel of John, we also get a glimpse of the heart of Jesus. And what it means that while he's overturning tables in the temple courtyard, there is also things in you and I that he's continuing to work on, continuing to turn over, continuing to, to reset so that we might have a better and deeper connection with the God who made us. So if you would uh, listen with me into John chapter 2. This is John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22, New Living Translation. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures, Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, uh, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What, they exclaimed, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. So this story is one that's likely familiar to you if you grew up inside the church. It's, it's a, a children's story we teach kids over at our preschool. Jesus goes into the temple, and people are irreverently selling things and, and putting together all of these a sort of maze of tables to get through before you're finally at the place where you can sacrifice the sacrifice that God's called you to give. And so in, another way to understand this might be that there were these prerequisites for people to approach God in his temple. The temple was not just a representation of God's place among his people. That was the place where he said, you will find me. I will dwell. That's how you know that I am your God and you are my people. In that place, I will be found. And through the priests that I have established, you will have a connection and a mediator with me. Now, when Jesus comes into the world as the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen son of God, of course, he is the new mediator. He sets a new standard for what it means to be connected to God. But that entire old system was setting up his people for the expectation of his arrival, the fulfillment of these promises. And so when he walks into the temple courtyard 
and he sees just how convoluted this system has become so that people now need to purchase animals from the temple rather than bringing their own livestock, that if they had foreign currency, they needed to get uh, exchanged for local currency, and then they could use that to buy the right products and the right uh, animals and the right sacrifices. Jesus couldn't stand it. And Psalm 69 is actually the prophecy that's referenced in this story where the, the man of God, the, the anointed Messiah, the son of God, the ruler, is overwhelmed with enthusiasm, energy, devotion, commitment to God and his will so that it changes the way he behaves in the place where all of this messed up systematizing is going on in the temple courtyard. He reacts loudly. He reacts somewhat violently. And this isn't a call to action for you and I to start flipping over other people's tables or to aggressively uh, correct someone who is irreverent toward God. No. Instead, Jesus goes in there and clears the temple courtyard and helps them realize that he is resetting the relationship between God and man. No longer is there this maze of tables to work your way through before you're finally ready to present yourself to God. Instead, when you know Jesus, you have a direct connection to the Father. Now, here's the question for you and I today. Those of us that believe in his word, that have been connected to God the Father, that trust in Jesus as our Savior, who claim to have this relationship with him that changes our lives, are we not also prone, like the religious leaders of the day, to set up prerequisites for other people to be introduced to Jesus through our relationship with them? Do we not also put together systems in place to make it somewhat of a behavioral assessment or some kind of uh, necessary, uh, I should say unnecessary, uh, survey they need to complete correctly before they can experience Jesus with us, through us? Now, of course, there's necessary prerequisites, right? There are certain things that Jesus himself has put in place. You must repent. That is, recognize your sinfulness, turn away from it, and trust in his promise. And believe the good news that his forgiveness is for you. That his spirit is poured out upon you through baptism and that that spirit is working on each of us every single day. And that's where I want to draw an illustration from the very tangible example Jesus performs when he's clearing the temple courtyard. He's overturning tables. He's driving out wild animals and merchants just trying to make a profit. He makes everyone who is irreverently approaching God to clear out of the way. Is he not also overturning things in our life that we've set up that get in the way of people experiencing Jesus? Unnecessary prerequisites. Sometimes we like to think that someone needs to talk like us before they can talk with us or look like us before we can engage in our meaningful relationship with them. Or maybe their lifestyle needs to match our lifestyle. But there's this helpful example from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, where he talks about how the progression of maturity in faith makes us ready for different levels of God's accountability with us. As Christians whose lives are changing, our forgiveness, of course, comes only from Jesus, and it overwhelms even the darkest parts of our lives. But if we're new to faith, if we're new to the Bible, if we've never even heard the most familiar Bible verses before, we're not going to be ready to receive the the highest and most um, significant and, and specific commandments of God compared to the life we used to live. God can work in miraculous ways, but by and large, if we're used to a particular way of life, we can't totally cold turkey turn away from that on our own power. Instead, God incrementally works in us so that day by day we become more and more like him. 
So there's two things I'm approaching in this message. One, we put prerequisites for others to be in contact with God through us, but then also Jesus is working on incrementally clearing our own hearts and minds so that we might approach the presence of God with more faith and more certainty and our lives might become a more accurate representation of who he is and what he does. The same zeal that Jesus had, the same enthusiasm, energy, and commitment he had to make sure the temple, uh, the temple area was prepared for his arrival, he has for you. And this isn't a frightening thing, although sometimes this story makes us a little worried about what Jesus' actions might consist of. But instead, this is a comforting thing. Because no matter how messed up we get, no matter how many tables we set up and what kind of maze we put before people before they can experience Jesus in us, He is committed to you and I. He has said, I won't let you go. I won't give up on you. I am going to change your life. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to change your mind. And through that change, others will see the work of God in you. Not by our own effort, not by our own uh, behavioral obedience, not by our own perfection, but instead the work of God in you. And this gives us a uh, a humble perspective from which we can invite others on this journey. Sometimes the shadows that fall in life are ones that we have, uh, that, that are cast by the, the, the curtains we've hung around ourselves. But Jesus comes to drive those curtains away and turn on the lights and bring light even into the most convoluted of situations. I hope that this message is an encouragement to you and a support to you in your walk of faith this week. We look forward to connecting with you next time you're able to be with us in person in worship on one of our campuses or maybe just the next time you're able to be in worship with God's people wherever you go to church. And that as we walk through life together, in this particular season, as we reflect on the significance of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you would be also taking careful steps with him toward the cross. May God bless you and keep you this week, and we will see you next time.